Hello and welcome to the third episode in our Beauty and Its Enemies series. My name is Ronnie and I am your host and this is the Half Naked Truth podcast. This week I have the privilege of speaking with Kyle Spirides, an incredible man with an even more incredible story. Today he's sharing his perspective of what it's like to be a man with scarring from intense medical procedures and how this scarring affects his perception of self in relation to meeting and even dismissing beauty standards and other expectations we encounter in life. This episode is what I'd like to refer to as a Frankenstein episode. Now, if you were around for the first episode of the Beauty and Its Enemies series, you would know that that episode was comprised of both the interview itself and any additional commentary I thought would help add context or direction to the conversation this episode is going to be the same. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Beauty and Its Enemies. Now hold on, there is a pre-discussion disclaimer, and I know, I know, you were excited because you thought there wasn't going to be one, and I'm sorry to disappoint, but the reality is, this conversation includes topics revolving around medical procedures, blood, other bodily functions that may make people feel uncomfortable. So if you feel like you might be a bit squeamish, listener discretion is advised. Kyle, our guest for the day, is a videographer, photographer, and soon-to-be-published author. During the writing process, he pulled inspiration from his experience reading David Goggins' book, Can't Hurt Me. And just like that book helped Kyle gain perspective and encouragement through the tough times in his life, he's purposing for his book titled Decide Your Destiny to act as an aid to your journey in overcoming tough seasons and empowering us all to stay strong and true to who we are. Talk about David Goggins' book Can't Hurt Me a lot because that book here and that book in 2020 um, and going through the health challenges I had to go through uh, and trying to turn some scientific numbers around naturally Mm -hmm. um like that book was so inspiring and really helped me get there so i think that's the the purpose of a book it's supposed to be something that can get you from one place to another right yeah i believe that what what exactly is your book or what specifically is your book about so the title of my book is decide your destiny Mm -hmm. so this uh, lovely man uh, over my shoulder, that's my grandfather. Oh, wow. uh, so he's my Australian grandfather. So I've got Australian grandparents because okay. uh, I was born in South Africa, Johannesburg, and I came to Australia when I was two. And yeah, these were the, 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 my, the stepfather and, and his parents. And um, when, my mom, when my grandmother saw me, the first time I was walking up the stairs into their house, and she said she looked at me and she could see this like lost look in my eyes and like this worry, like, you know, like, like who are these Australian people? This is not my South African family. Like, you know, and she could see this like worry and, and she had this overwhelming feeling shoot through her body. And it was kind of like this message from God that she was going to be important in my life. Wow. And she, yeah, she just knew she had this like knowing that she was going to be important. And then 14 years later, uh, not 14 years later, sorry, 12 years later, um, yeah, I, I had nowhere to go, and but my grandparents and I went, I went and lived with them, and they raised me, and they became my parents because they were the, the real stable people in my life. And my grandfather, when I was eighteen, he we were sitting on the couch in his you know lounge room, and 
he just turned to me and the, the sun kissed the side of his face and he just had this boyish grin on his face and he just said, decide your destiny. Wow. And I went, what? And he said, decide your destiny. And I said, what are you, what are you, what are you saying, Clive? Yeah. Because I was an 18 year old, yeah. they had no idea, you know, and yeah. he just said, make sure in your life that you decide your destiny. And that's really the, the, the purpose of the book is, you know, giving the power back to the individual to empower their lives, um, to heal their hearts, to embrace their soul and go out there and decide the life that they want to be, you know, having their life rather than being swayed right. and pulled and pushed right. like a like a rip current. Right. I think that's incredibly powerful too, because I think a lot of us are born into families or, you know, adopt friendship groups or even just maybe a general have a general societal uh, narrative that says that you are a victim of you know circumstance and you just have to make the best of what you can as opposed to a lot of things in life most things in life are a choice um not yeah. what happens to you but what what you do with that occurrence i think that sentence decide your destiny is incredibly powerful and especially in context with beauty which is the series that i'm doing now it's, it's, you know, are you going to decide whether you want to be a victim and someone who is just a poor, unfortunate soul who can't reach the beauty standard? Or are you going to decide to be someone who's confident and love themselves despite, you know, the circumstance societally and what they say is beautiful? And are you going to decide to embrace your body or are you going to decide to reject it and be in this constant war with it until, you know, you pass on? So, yeah, thank you yeah. for writing that book and I can't wait for it to come out. I liked hearing about the inspiration behind Carl's book because it helped me get a better understanding of his general outlook on life. There are many intrinsically and extrinsically set standards for people to meet around the world, but of course, since this is a series on beauty, I wanted to know how Kyle decided to fit into standards set for him. Like I said, from his generally sweet disposition, I thought I had a good idea of what his experience with self-esteem and beauty would be. But before I came to any solid conclusions, I wanted to dig deeper, starting with one question. Would you say you're confident? Yes. Yes, I would describe myself as confident. Okay. Um, but it's not something that you, like I just am, I think it's something you have to work at. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, when I was when I was a lot younger, you know, I was a very confident kid. So when I was in South Africa, I actually grew up in I was pretty much raised in a pub. So I was around adults, you know, I was around people all the time, um, and that was because it was it was unsafe to have me at home. And my mother was she was a, a international model, so she was travelling, you know, to Germany, and she had a contract, and then. They extended a contract for another three months and then she was in Paris and, you know, all through Europe, you know, a model for Vivian. So she was moving around a lot and, you know, she she, she wasn't really there for the first few years that my, my biological father you know, had a shop, you know, that he was running. And so he couldn't really lock me up in his apartment all day, you know. Yeah. So so my granny looked after me, my staff, my staff and granny. So it's funny, I've been looked after very much yeah. by my Australian granny, my staff and granny. And she raised me like in this pub. And when I was in this pub, there's stories that, that they tell me, um, which kind of, I think it, it paid tribute to me later on and to go, oh, great. 
uh, that kid was confident. And yes, I've been hit with a few blows along the way that has damaged my confidence and has made me not confident. But let me try and go back and source what, you know, who that kid was. And I was, you know, I was kind of loud and, and, and interactive and I'd, and I'd hug the pool table and <laughs> I'd have my own little seat that where I'd watch TV, no one could sit on my seat, you know, so I was, I was very liberated <laughs> or, or very, um, yeah, stern yeah. As, a, as a young kid. And, and this one day, this one story, um, I was calling out to my granny, like to get me some ice cream. And this patron came up, came over to me she would come there every Saturday and she said, Cole, you can't shout for your granny. She's back there working. And apparently I turned to this lady and I said, if I call my granny, she will come. And, so, <laughs> and I would go, granny, ice cream. So, I mean, it sounded a bit like a spoiled brat, but I, I guess I had, a, I had a lot of confidence as a yeah. kid. You know, I think that's what, what kids have, you know. And, and when I came to Australia, I think... That was, a, that was the first moment where, you know, new family, that confidence was hit. So I think that's the thing, like the confidence is there and it's just dependent on, you know, what you've gone through and, and, right. and how it diminishes, you know. So would you say it's fair to assume everyone's born with confidence, but it's just not everybody maybe holds on to it because of the trials that they've gone through in life and like digging deep to, to revive that confidence is really difficult for some people. Hundred percent. I think confidence comes from competence. So you know, if you're confident in something, if you're working at something, you know, you could be quietly confident. You know, you could have your Lego structure and be like, you know, wow, geez, I'm getting good at this. You know, yeah. like, like, damn, look at me. You know, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, you like, you, it doesn't have to be like a showmanship or a loud. Which, which, Unfortunately, maybe that's what I was. But you know, like it doesn't have to be that sort of thing. It can be a quiet confidence. And and you know, when I was a teenager, I kind of went through that through that time where I lost a lot of confidence. And then I found an an avenue or an outlet in the gym and, and playing rugby. And so I was very quiet about my, my my confidence, but I was confident that I could, you know, get bigger and get in a better team. And then a lot of my friends would say to me. Like what? The, like where did you come from? Like you right. came from nowhere. Like right. you know that sort of thing. So, so I was probably in my own head and my body going, you know, you've got this, you can do this. But I wasn't loudly showing confidence. If people looked in my eyes, they'd see this scared little teenager that like his life was flipping upside down and he didn't know where to go. Mm-hmm. You know, but deep down inside me, there was a little bit of confidence still there. Looking back, I really, really liked that phrase. Confidence comes from competence, or the assurance that you are competent at something. Being competent at something doesn't mean that you are extraordinarily skilled at that thing. It's simply a knowing that you have a sufficient amount of skill or knowledge to accomplish what you're trying to do. Confidence means having a strong belief and or no uncertainty about one's own abilities. Sounds similar to competence. In the vein of beauty, I think where we get tripped up is the pursuit of perfection. We want to be carbon copies of what is deemed objectively beautiful. We want to be flawless because it lessens our chances of rejection and feeling ostracised. But what if I told you, you needed to be rejected by the wrong ones to be accepted by the right ones? Now, the only reason I speak in reference to relationships is because I believe being objectively beautiful can be looked at as a matter of biology, a matter of finding a partner or a community that will help look out for your well-being. But I digress. 
The point is, confidence and the idea of confidence shouldn't be something that seems out of reach for you. Because confidence shouldn't equate to the belief that you're extraordinarily better at X, for instance, than everyone else. It simply means that you are good enough to hold your own. You won't be everyone's cup of tea, but that doesn't mean there aren't people out there who would be more than happy to drink two pots for. But kind of on the topic of confidence and self-image, you, when I kind of reached out, you said that you could speak on beauty in relation to scarring, and if it's not too invasive, I wanted to ask, like, how you got those scars, where are they, and how did that affect, how did that affect you? Yeah, well, um, yeah, I mean, mean, scarring is invasive in a way, but, you know, look, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm I'm more than happy to talk about it, Um, and, yeah, for me, uh, about two months after I left school, um, I got really sick, and I had, um, you know, I came home one night from, from the gym and I went and sat on the couch and all of a sudden I got really hot, you know, so I stripped all my clothes off and, 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 and you know, so I was sitting there and I was watching Independence Day, you know, the aliens and the jets yeah. <laughs> and I was just watching that and, you know, and then all of a sudden I got really hot and then, so that was the first sign that something was wrong and I put all these clothes on, this doona on, doona is, is uh, Australian for blanket, I guess. Oh, maybe, okay. maybe it's Australian. I don't I know. I think so, yeah. I, I wasn't <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, and, and then the next night I went up and got a glass, went to get some ice in the fridge and I collapsed on the ground and I laid on the tiles for like a good 20 minutes, it felt like. I don't know how, how long it was. Um, and I, I was aware and I was awake, but I just could not physically move my body. Wow. You know, the uh, next day I went to the doctor. The doctor gave me some tablets for um, take some ga- take some of this. I think he just got gastro. Went home, took pills, vomited them straight up. Wow. Went, all right, there's something seriously wrong here. Um, and I was getting more and more ill. And you know, I was there's a rare moment that I was staying with my my mother and her boyfriend and my um, like my my brother my own brother was there. And you know, I was saying I need to go to hospital. I need to go to hospital. And eventually they took me back down to my grandparents because that's where I was living for most of my life. And my grandmother took me up to my uncle and he had a look at me walking down the hallway and he said, look, he's got a virus. Um, you know, you need to take him to the hospital, the doctor. If the doctor doesn't take him to the hospital, you need to take him to the hospital. Went to the doctor, lovely Chinese doctor that I'd known for 10 years. Um, you know, he, at one stage of my life when I was going through a lot of hardships, he gave me this book titled Hope and it had these landscapes and all these beautiful quotes in it. So, you know, it was more than just a, you know, clock in, clock out doctor. He was, you know, he was a kind soul. So he um, he saw me and he looked at the tips of my fingers mm-hmm. and he said, see these red dots, Carl? I said, yeah, he said, this means you've got an infection on your heart. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so I went, okay. Um, you know, he goes, look, you, you got to go up to the hospital straight away. Um, you know, you might need to have an operation. So I went up to the hospital, got rushed up uh, in the ambulance, and then I was down the bottom area of the hospital, and I was telling my family, look, I can't, I can't excrete. I'm trying to excrete, I can't excrete. And then uh, they grabbed the nurse. The nurse came over, looked at my paperwork, and was like, what? said, what are you doing down here? You know, like, you're supposed to go through the ICU. Um, wow. You know, like, your organs are shutting down. That's why you can't excrete. You know, like your body's shutting down. So I went through, 
and they they said all right we're going to put a pipe in your in your in your throat uh you're going to go to sleep Kyle um you know is that okay and because you because I was so sick like you're kind of out of it you're loopy and your peripheral it's like a vignette when you see a vignette in some movie you know like it just seems dark and blurry and you're just like okay yep whatever so you know emotionally I wasn't very impacted this time but yeah so so I got put to sleep and then my my mother and my my grandmother um was there and my actually my staff and grandmother was also there at the time so it was just funny that, that she was she was over for you know she's only been to Australia I think twice and she was over then and my mother called my stepfather so my stepfather was the connection that brought me to Australia he was currently living in Ireland and she called him and she always trusted him with health and you know because he was a chiropractor as well but he had a lot of uh, understanding in natural health kinesiology different sort of things and he said you know so she was asking him you know like what what do we do the situation they want to operate but they don't think he's going to make it through the night um and if they leave him they don't think he's going to make it through the night like it's really dire chances he's going to survive and so um my father my stepfather on the phone said you know like my opinion is don't let them operate but i'm not there you know you have to you have to make the shots you have to call the shots you know but that that's my feeling and i think what he does is he, he cuz he's international health kinesiology i think he does the thing where he like pulls his fingers together and he kind of seeks or he asks some sort of source some sort of information that you know is not physical like in our world you know like mm-hmm. so, like in our physical world sorry it's in our world but right. in our physical world you know i think we're, we all seek things and we all try and seek out things and i don't know if he did do that but I, but i could imagine he did something like that um to try and source a good response to to a woman who was in need and yeah so then a week later he came over and he and he saw me and he said Carl you've got this 3 cm bug uh eating a hole into your heart and um yeah there's you know the, when there's two options that you know I want to form you like he wants to inform me of both ways he said this is the medical route and what happens is they cut off a chunk of your heart um they put a metal attachment on uh this is how you're impacted for the rest of your life this is you know what's going to happen to you for the rest of your life and I was 18 at the time and um and then he said there's another option he said this thing is called the alkaline diet and the whole point of this is that you do a fast a juice fast and you starve the bug out of the body so basically there's no sugars no carbs no protein it's just purely alkaline you know everything on the alkaline scale um juicing and you know that way it will start the bug out and i said look you know i i don't necessarily know a lot about this you know i, I don't don't know if i believe in this i'm not sure um but i believe in you as a man so um let's give this a go and then i went through that period so i was in hospital I went through that period and you know to cut a long story short i about 3 weeks later I, you know I, we got rid of the bug naturally yeah so which was amazing yeah. you know you know and in that time i was having vitamins i was doing meditations i was visualizing over my heart trying to say heal heal you know so i had a had a different connection with my body this right. time you know where earlier is just about building muscle now right, it was right. you know trying to assist my body in its healing capacity and i also had to deal with i had nurses that were trying to throw my vitamins into the bin i had nurses tell me what what i think i was doing um and we had a, a 
uh, cardiologist who was telling us he, he was he was huffing and puffing and you know he was swearing at us and he was he was really upset to the point that when we left the hospital he sent his registrar who was a Somalian man me and him I got on like a house on fire we were great friends and I was leaving and I was being pushed out and it grabbed my shoulder and I was like oh so I'll see you later mate you know I'm going now it's great it's been great to, to know you and he said oh look I'm just here to deliver a me message because obviously the registrar look, works underneath the cardiologist he said look you know, Prof has just told me that, you know, your lungs will be full of blood, you're going to choke to death within two months of leaving this hospital. And I just I cried and I just went, I just, to the person pushing me in the wheelchair, I said, let's go, just get me out of here, I need to get the hell out of here. Now, I do understand, like, you know, it's definitely a controversial topic and I do understand from their point of view, they were trying to assist me right. with their knowledge. And then I was this person who came in and went, you know, I think I've got this in a different way. Um, and literally decided my destiny, you know, decided to heal it naturally. Now, I got rid of the bug, but the the heart valve wasn't closing properly. So it, it was leaking a lot of blood. So I had to repair it. So after the hospital, I seeked out people in Germany, like for stem cell research. I tried to work out how, how can I heal this, keep healing this naturally. And about 12 months, uh, I started going to a new cardiologist. Um, and every three months I saw him, he said I had a better chance of a repair, which a repair means they're going to use some of your own tissue, some cow heart tissue, different sort of things to repair your heart valve. And in the hospital, there was no chance of repair. It was cut the valve off completely wow. and put a metal attachment. Okay. So I started seeing this new cardiologist. He said 30% chance, then he had said 60% chance, then there was 70% chance over the course of the year. And so I called Ward, my um, stepdad, I said, you know, what do we do? And he said, what do you want to do? I said, look, it's probably time that I take do the operation. And then so I went in and I had open heart surgery. And so with open heart surgery, they cut cut down your chest. They crack crack your um, crack your chest open and they take your heart out. You're pretty much dead for about five hours and then they cut into your heart and then they go in and they repair the valve. Um, and repair or replace the valve. And so I was so focused on this goal that I woke up and I woke up screaming, you know, I see you and I was shouting repair or replacement, repair or replacement, <laughs> you know, and yeah. someone came over and grabbed my hand and said, it was a repair, Carl, it was a repair. So in terms of, to, to bring that story back to beauty, I mean, and scarring in terms of that, like I looked down on my chest and, you know, I had three pipes just underneath my rib cage sticking into my body um you know i had like all this plastic and stitches and everything all over my body and you know basically your whole chest bone you know, you know it gets wired together again mm -hmm. so there's wires that are forever in my chest but and every now and then i'll get extreme pain um because of those wires so, so yes yeah, so, so so and 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 then uh, you know, the doctors came around and said, look, uh, we repaired your valve successfully, but your heart's not getting back into the normal beat. And I said, what do you mean? I, I was sure that I covered everything, all the things that could go wrong. He said, look, this is something, something that happens sometimes. And, and basically, you know, we might've nicked an electro signal. An electro signal tells the heart to pump blood into the um, atrium out of the ventrium. So um, it's naked to the human eye. So we, we might've snipped one of these, but we'll see if your heart gets back into rhythm you know, in about a week. It didn't get back into rhythm. So I had to go back into surgery 
and have another surgery, have a battery and some wires put in. And, you know, and, and then and then about six weeks later, after coming out of the hospital, you know, as you're coming out of the hospital, I'm getting up every day like this. Um, you know, I'm trying to, my stepdad was there, Ward was there, and he was trying to get me into the ocean pool to try and get me to start having some motion movement in my body. I remember my younger brother was in that same ocean pool. He was doing laps and every little wave he created was rocking me and you know, <laughs> I was screaming, screaming like crazy. But about six weeks after the, the surgery, um, I went to go get my new license and I was with someone and I said, oh, I feel a bit bloated. And they said, look, we're gonna take you to the hospital. There's no way we're mucking around with this. You know, you've just had heart surgery. I went to the, the, the doctor, sorry, he's taking the doctor, I went to my doctor and he said, he looked at my heart and he said, you know, you're hours away from dying. And Goodness. I went, what do you mean? Like, are you serious? This is happening again. And he said, like, Carl, did you not go to the doctor? Did you not go to the hospital? I said, yes, I went to the doctor in the hospital a week ago. He said, what do they do? And I said, they did an ECG. Now, ECG is when they put stickers all over your body and they, you know, they get a reading. He said, no, an echocardiogram is what you do for anyone that's had surgery. And he was and he's, he was losing it and he was going, I'm going to sue that hospital. I'm going to sue them. How dare they not, you know, give you an echocardiogram? Yeah. And so I got rushed to the, to, the, to the hospital once again and I knew what the surgery was going to be. I was, I was awake for it. And the surgeon said, Carl, are you okay? Because I was turning my face away. And I said, and I turned to him to say, I'm all right, I'm fine. And he had this needle about 20 centimeters long and, oh, and he goes yeah no it was it was it freaked me out and i, I just went can i get some more morphine like I, you know i asked more, and they, they looked at each other like well you know we've got to watch out for this guy he seems to like the morphine but <laughs> I, I was like this 20 centimeter thing and so basically what it was is that after surgery sometimes your heart can have such trauma that it, it bleeds a lot and your heart sits in a, a wall called the pericardium and so I had pericarditis, which means that wall is full of blood. You know, your heart can pretty much explode. Like, so they put in, they put the syringe, the thing in all the way into that heart wall, and then they pulled out two liters of blood. And so, yeah. So then that, that so that was my my yeah my short experience, and and um, yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm only smiling because I'm in dis like it's a you know just like an innate reaction I'm in disbelief wow I, I'm so sorry you had to go through that that's just a, that's a lot that's a lot that's I mean it's incredible that you're sitting here healthy and happy and inspiring other people to wow so <laughs> that's wow. <laughs> wow and you and you haven't had any trouble any since so not really running like it's been it's been pretty good except with heart management with the same thing with, with with mindset management mental health management you know it, all that sort of stuff it's 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 you know it's never going to be a one, one and done trick you know you're going to have to keep going and and for me right right at the start of 2020 um i had my heart had gone into af which is atrial fibrillation which basically means it's beating out of rhythm it's not a huge worry, but it's it's not ideal, like, and especially when you when you get it quite young, because right. a lot of people get into their sixties, seventies. Okay. So, and you know, and so so, and also the basically with the with the battery and the, the wires, it's basically wires into your heart that kind of 
sort of like electricity. So it like shocks your heart, like gets your heart to work, you know, amazing technology. And um, one of the wires wasn't working because I was in atrial fibrillation. So I was, I was going to have to go in, I had to go in for surgery, um, you know, and then, then I was going to have to have another procedure and then possibly something else. And then, then like a, a shock, like a, like a shock on my right. chest. And, mm-hmm. and so I, I went, look, you know, I healed myself naturally when I was 18, seven, eight years earlier, I've not been able to fix this, this one number, which is called your ejection fraction. That basically measures how well your heart does, it functions. Most people around 55 to 65, I was at 35%. If you're around 20% and below, it's touch and go, like you could die, you can't get on planes, like it's very scary. So I was like, I wanna change this number. So I went back at the start, you know, because, and one, one of the things that actually inspired me was something that, you know, was not beautiful news. It was, you know, aren't you worried that you're gonna, you've got pre-existing condition, aren't you worried about this virus, aren't you worried? And I went, you know what, I'm gonna flip the switch. Uh, I know I can control my body, I know I can control my physiology, I know I can alter my internal state. I'm gonna go hard on this. So I went for a run every single morning, mm. juiced, meditated, everything I could do, vitamins, all sorts of vitamins for your heart, CoQ10, Hawthorne Berry, pomegranate, like selenium, everything I could get and, and work out what was gonna be okay. And I went back and the electrosurgeon sat there and, and he said, I don't know what to do with you. He said, you know, only in 5% of people just after surgery does their heart enjoy being atrial fibrillation. Mm-hmm. Just after surgery. He goes, yours is well after surgery and it's it's enjoying being in atrial fibrillation. Your heart has gotten stronger. Your, your ejection fraction wow. is now at 49%. Like he goes, I don't know how the hell that number's changed. Like, and he was just sitting there gobsmacked and he didn't know what to do with the procedures, with everything, you know? And then he proceeded to write me eight scripts. And then he said, look, you know, we'll do a couple more procedures. We'll hit you for everything. And Roni, the, 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 the magic of listening to someone who's a professional can totally bewilder you. Right. And I walked out there going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And in autopilot, I went to the doctor, to, to, the, um, to the pharmacist. Now keep in mind, I was on zero drugs. Right. I was prescribed drugs and advised to take quite a few drugs. And I was on zero of them mm. for that period where I healed my heart and, 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 for, and sorry, for that period where I improved my ejection fraction. So I went there and I was standing there and I kind of had this message from God. And it was kind of like, you've done this before. You know, you've healed yourself. Like, you know, like, why are you here, Carl? Like, why, why are you lining up? Why are you here going to get eight medications when you're on right. zero? Right. And then the thing is, I'm not telling people what to do with their lives. I'm not, I'm not giving any <laughs> advice, 100%. I'm not, you know, like, just full disclaimer. But for me, these drugs, they knocked me out. Like, I would fall asleep in the middle of the day. I would, like, get dizzy. I couldn't get up. Like, I would, it, it would really mess up my lifestyle. So you know, there were more reasons to not take them than take them. So I walked out, I walked out of there and I felt liberated. Um, and I felt that connection and I just, you know, and I was like, wow, like, and I just thought how many of us are on autopilot every day, right. just going along with everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I was someone that had healed my heart now twice naturally. And I was going in to get something that I knew messed, messed me up. So, yeah, so 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 I'm I'm all great now. I just have to obviously really take care. <laughs>
when I tell you my breath, I don't know if you noticed, you probably didn't. I don't think I was breathing that whole time you were talking. I was like, <laughs> no. what's the end? What happened? I, again, incredible. Sorry. And I, I think, honestly, this conversation is so timely because I was, um, a couple days ago, I watched a video of a clip of another podcast by Russell Brand. And he had yeah. some some guy on who I can't remember who's a professional at something. Um, but he wrote a book about breath and the power of breath and how there's a lot of healing that can come from breath and a lot of power, like people being able to control their body temperature in very acute, very specific ways. And, you know, people being able to... Uh, it started off, I think, with a study of people being able to... Uh, what's the word? Like free dive, deep deep sea free dive and things like yes. that. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and... and I've just and my mum is an ex physiotherapist and she's really into like reflexology now and I, I I do think it's it's interesting that with the progression and I love I think Western medicine is great I also think Eastern medicine and natural healing is great I think they should coexist and join forces as opposed to being opposite ends of the spectrum I don't think it should be one or the other um, yes but I I do think it's interesting that especially with the advance of Western medicine we kind of go into this mindset of our bodies were not are not equipped to handle itself and there's nothing and the and the world doesn't provide us with things that help our bodies handle itself like our body has an immune system like we're born to fight disease we're born to he our bodies heal itself now like if you get a cut on your hand or something <laughs> looking at your plaster if you get a cut on, on your hand your body naturally <laughs> heals itself you know you know so long as you don't have some kind of pre-existing condition that doesn't allow that to happen so I, I think it's incredible yeah. and more people should should know that there is the option that you don't have to go through intense surgeries or, you know, be on tons and tons of drugs that have a lot of side effects that could make your quality of life a lot worse or just not yeah. ideal. Um, yeah. And so I, I don't know if this is all going to be in your book, too, but I think it is definitely yes, a message. <laughs> it's a message that a lot of people should hear. Um you're, you're right though about natural healing because there's, I mean you look back at some people like oh, I went to South America and and the Peruvian people back in the day that they they did research on the the DNA of the skulls of some Peruvian people from years and years ago mm-hmm. like many years ago and they lived to 120. Wow. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. and my, my my and I'm not again because <laughs> I know people get tense. Right. <laughs> I'm not advising. I'm not saying anything. Right. But my own grandfather. He lived to 92, healthy, wow. happy, like strong. Um, and he had, he was never on any medications. Mm. He was, he never had any vaccinations in his entire life. He never had any surgeries. I think he spent wow. one time in the hospital because he had food poisoning. He did a bicycle ride from Sydney to, to Melbourne and back and, you know, for food, they used to shoot like, I'm sorry to say, no, especially good. around Easter time, <laughs> they used to shoot bunny rabbits. <laughs> Because the bunny rabbits, we have like bunny rabbits everywhere, yeah. um, and they're not natural to Australia. So you, should, you know, you, and they'd have to eat that, you know. Yeah. So what I'm saying is that you're right. Like our bodies are a lot stronger, and each person's body is totally different. Yeah. So me telling you that this is going to work for you or that's going to work for you, you don't know. It's your body. It's your journey. Yeah. And there is definitely, uh, you know, I definitely appreciate the advancement of Western medicine 100. Um, you know. For, like for me, if I didn't have this advancement in technology, I'd have like a laptop that I would have to walk around right. with everywhere and that would be how my heart would be. So I definitely appreciate it. I definitely see where it's needed. Yeah. But I, I definitely don't neglect natural medicine because geez, it can have a heck of a 
difference. And if yeah. people live to 120 without any right. medical in intervention, right. if someone can live to 92, you know, through the Great Depression, right. I mean, he slept, he slept on the veranda. So he lived on the outside of the house underneath cover yeah. and with like, like a fly screen. And he right. slept outside for years and years. And he reckoned that, because he was an architect later on, he reckoned uh, that that attributed to his health. Right. So, but um, yeah, so, 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 I mean, that's the message. And, you know, I think it's, it's important to understand your journey. Yeah. And, you know, that we're not carbon copies. It's very telling too. Like, I mean, we trust, we trust professionals because they've dedicated years and years and years and years to studying the human body. But I think that people, you know, it, it's not you aren't the human body it's your human body and i think in in promoting you know s natural healing it's not saying hey this is a prescription that fits all bodies it's this is what worked for mine because i did the research and found out what exactly you know vitamins and stuff i was missing and i think in promoting that it's kind of the recommendation of like hey let's study our individual bodies and then use the knowledge that we have of the general human body to back that up but yeah it's medicine is fascinating on on all fronts i mean even just going back really quickly to the breath thing i'm like breath can raise your temperature and calm and whatever he was talking about this uh yeah wim hof yes wim hof yes it was him uh, yeah. i'm like wow you yeah. can sit in an ice bath for two hours and not get hypothermia i can't even step into a cold shower without running the other direction it's like it's insane yeah yeah, yeah me too <laughs> it's, it's like i'd rather just stick with the progression of natural technology and stay in a warm bath. I was truly blown away by Carl's resilience and attitude after all he'd been through. I thanked him and restated that I was excited to ask his perspective on beauty standards for men, being that there isn't much representation when it comes to scars or other deformities. It got me thinking. I think sometimes we can get so disproportionately concerned about unrealistic women's beauty standards that we forget the psychological effects of male beauty standards. And hear me when I say this, because I know someone somewhere is itching to say I'm invalidating the female experience. But what I mean is the prevalence of an issue doesn't negate the presence of others. As a woman, I don't know what it is to live under the pressure of male beauty standards. So I was eager to find out more about that experience. Well, I'd definitely say some of the main male beauty standards I think what's come a long way is uh, like your self-care and kind of, um, you know, like looking after your, you know, your presentation, which I actually think is great. Like I'm like, you know, I'm, I definitely used to be more rough and tumble and, yeah. and you know, let that beard grow right out and, and all sorts of things. And um, But I, I, I like that part of, you know, males going, hey, you know, I can refine a few things and learn a few things and, and, and keep myself looking presentable you know, I think that's great. You know, I definitely think it's, it's, it's probably muscles for men, you know, yeah. mus muscular tone, you know, like looking like strong is definitely a mm. big thing. And probably I heard somewhere with that, that it's, it's the chest, like, like women, generally speaking, right. are attracted to shoulders and chest, you know, yeah. um, men love to, to work out their arms because they're, they're, they're the, you know, the beach, beach guys, right. you know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, and yeah, well, that's the funny thing. Like, I, like, I didn't know that, that it was the chest. And for me, um, with, with what I have, I've got to be very careful about working out the chest. Um, you know, so, so 
I, I just think it's the, the beauty standards have become more about the physical and less about the internal. And that's, to me, that's the, uh, a shame because, you know, I'll look at someone and I'll have a conversation with them and within a few minutes, they can look five plus beauty points if you want to be judgmental or right. whatever, however, right. we look, however we look at it. Right, right, right. Or they can go 10 minus beauty points because they're either a giving, kind, loving person who wants to contribute to humanity or they're a taking spoiled brat, you know, whatever it is. And look, people transition. They can be on both sides so of that, right. that, that journey. Kyle touched on something really important in this little example he gave. I'll make one large after-party episode in the future about the series and the main takeaways, but for now, I do want to talk about this one idea that's been brewing in my mind since I started this series. The idea of being beautiful versus being attractive. Now, I won't get too much into it because this topic itself could take up an entire episode on its own, but humour me for a second. I believe those two words often get used interchangeably, which is okay, but sometimes it leaves room for misinterpretation. For a while, I, and I'm sure I have said it in an episode previously already, um, I would say that people could be beautiful, but unattractive. But I realise I had this backwards. And I can attribute this change of mind to the etymological dictionary, shout out to you. Attractive means having the quality to draw people's eyes or interest, whereas beautiful means pleasing to the eye, ear or soul. In layman's terms, attraction's what draws you in and beauty is what keeps you sticking around. A quick example. Say you meet an objectively attractive man or woman, and by the way, what I mean by an objectively attractive person is someone who, regardless of your quote-unquote type, has obvious physical features that work well together aesthetically. So, so anyway, you see this person and they look great, but once you start talking to them, they say things or demonstrate behaviours that put you off from getting to know them further. Their personality doesn't actually make them any less attractive. Nothing caused them to literally morph and change in front of you like a picture of Dorian Gray type thing. But instead, their personality makes them less beautiful. They were aesthetically pleasing enough to catch your eye, but were displeasing to the mind and the soul. And that's what Kyle was talking about. We focus so much on what makes someone look good that we forget that beauty is about more than your physical appearance. But I think that, for me, affects how, how beautiful someone looks. Right. And, you know, that. The, but, but definitely beauty standards in, in Australia, it's definitely, it's definitely about your muscles, it's about, you know, your strength. And I, I'd say may, maybe it's the same thing in in America, you know, like, yeah, I, don't, I don't know how different it is. I, I, I have a feeling that the beauty standards are reminiscent of what we desire in you know, characteristically in a certain gender. So you want a man to be, stereotypically speaking, at least, you want a man to be the provider, the protector, whatever you want to feel safe with him. So the physical manifestation of that is you look strong or you look tall. Like I, I heard a lot of conversations yeah, with guys and like, one. right. I've had a lot of conversations with guys and they're like, well, I don't get why girls want us to be tall. And it's like, well, because you feel safer with like a taller person. Like yeah, it's very it's hard true. for you to feel safer when you're walking with a child because I mean, multiple reasons, but one of the big ones is they're smaller than you. And so, yeah. you know, with, when it comes to height, it's not like, Oh, just some frivolous thing where it's like, Oh, I want him to have, blonde hair it's like no like 
when you're tall, it's there's like this protection kind of thing that comes Deeply with Deeply psychological. It. Right. And I think for women, and it's a bit more convoluted, but, you know, obviously you want someone, cur- generally speaking, curvy. And I think that kind of more represents the nurturing, more soft side of women, which is what most people want. Um, granted, this is just my theory and loosely based on the book that I read. But I, I think it is even yeah. interesting that you can't, even in that sense, uh, separate uh, physical beauty standards from, what do you want to call it, mental beauty, personality beauty, because the physical is just an outward manifestation of what you want inwardly. After getting his opinion on certain beauty standards, I wanted to find out even more about what Kyle could specifically relate to, either because he was adjacent to a scenario, he was speaking from personal experience, or about things he personally believed. I believe each individual has male, masculine and feminine energy. Right. So you can get a, a, a man who has a lot of feminine energy. Right. Um, doesn't necessarily need to be gay to have feminine energy. Right. Or, or Or a different, have a different sexual preference. He could just have, he could be a man with a family, whatever it is, and just have right. a lot of feminine energy. Yeah. And be in touch with his sensitive side. And you could have a, a, a female who has a lot of masculine energy. Right. You know, so I think that is something... When I there was a book on this, um, and just like you, my referencing <laughs> skills are yeah. uh, uh, perfect. But um, actually, no, yeah, that's what it's called. It's it's on YouTube, and, and it's a free a book. It's called the uh, the Way of the Superior Man, hmm. and it sounds very old school and maybe a bit uh, you know toxic masculinity sort of thing. But when you listen to it, when it talks about the energies, hmm. it, it's really interesting because I notice masculine aspects and feminine aspects in my in myself. I believe that Kyle pointing out the differences between masculine and feminine energies and the fact that having more of one or the other doesn't make you any less man or any less woman is essential to our ability to be able to remove ourselves from the pressures of beauty standards. Now, I do believe there are certain biological factors that play into what is a masculine characteristic and what is a feminine characteristic. However, a lot of our definitions of what it means to be or look masculine, because we're talking about beauty, and what it means to be or not be feminine. For example, as we spoke about, in the West, masculine is synonymous with being rugged, tall, strong, muscular. There's facial hair, there's chest hair, there's all these hairs everywhere. (laughs) Whereas feminine means round, soft, hairless, things like that. Now, those are silly examples, but you know what I mean, especially if you were born and raised in the West. If we were to superimpose our ideas of what it means to look masculine and feminine onto a different culture, so say maybe Eastern Asia, especially if we're thinking about K-pop stars, because K-pop has become increasingly more popular over here recently, we would say that the men over there don't really fit into the masculine category. They're really pretty. They don't really have facial hair they have extremely smooth skin they're not necessarily extremely muscular or if they are it's a lean muscle but then again we wouldn't say they aren't attractive they fit what it means to be masculine in their culture but that doesn't detract from the aesthetically pleasing nature of their physicality So if we were able to reevaluate what it means to be attractive by deconstructing our stereotypical understandings of what it means to be masculine and feminine, I feel like a lot more people would have the freedom to feel beautiful. I have believed a lot of stereotypes 
in that uh, granted i know that men are typically more competitive than women i think that's maybe a biological thing um yes, but from a lot of the conversations that i'm i hear about men there's a lot um less toxic competitiveness in the male community than i've been led to believe which is very very encouraging um mm. especially when it comes to the subject of like relationships and stuff like that it's it's nice to kind of come to the realization of like oh they're not literally well put an asterisk generalization they're not cavemen. right they're not cavemen you know knocking their heads together and going this girl might you know they're not they're not doing that you know right like most yeah. men probably rationalize you know thinking things out and and men have insecurities too and they get nervous too and i was wondering how you know how you know with scarring and and just male, like insecurity in general how does that how does that how has that affected your interaction with women yeah so so <laughs> it's actually pretty funny. Um, I, I, I don't want to throw her under the bus <laughs> in this in this setting, but but my partner, um, it's it's something that I look as cute because yeah. with the wiring in my chest, not everything's perfect, right? right? So so there is one bone and wire that sticks out a bit, oh. and you know, and like like I'm very very grateful and very very lucky to have um, uh, be in a relationship now where. She fully cares about my health, right. my what I'm doing with my health, um, and you know, making sure that I'm okay and and all that sort of stuff. Um, but she like every now and then she'll accidentally touch that 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 bone and that wire, and she'll go, oh. and, <laughs> and and then I'll give her this look, like I'll give her this look, like, hey, and she's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but it right. just creeps me out. I'm sorry, like, yeah, like I love you, but I just right. I, I don't know why, and so. For me, I'm at a place now where I laugh that off right. and I laugh a lot of things off. But if I went back years ago, that would probably really upset me. I think mm. one of the things that I was worried about was in terms of beauty, it was like, I'm going to have scars and how is you know, like a woman going to react to me you know, when she sees me topless you know, with these scars? How is she going to react? when you know i tell her about and it's kind of like one of those those closet things you know like like when i tell her about my surgeries and everything right. like that like and the biggest concern was will someone want to be with me knowing that i've had surgeries wow. and my longevity has been impacted in terms of i've had something you know physically happen in my heart not saying that i'm you know like i'm still going to gun for right. 100 plus right. but right. but you know i'm i'm not not i'm not saying that there's anything hold me back from that but but you know in in a in a woman's mind or in another person's mind um you know like what what are they going to think like you know in terms of relationship because if it's a long-term relationship is she going to think you know can he provide for me forever right. you know can he physically provide can he and, you know, and those sorts of things would kind of you know in revolutions go around my head and it was quite interesting to find myself go from when i was a lot younger um, very confident and I would be the guy that my friends would say go hey go go tell that group of girls to come over and, right. you know, and I, I would just find that myself comfortable because if if they denied me if they said if they laughed at me and you know back home in Sydney you would get a lot of sometimes stuck up interactions mm -hmm. in in certain pubs and things like that and I would just laugh it off but a lot of my other friends had different insecurities and they had right. di different levels for that so so I would be that guy that would go and and 
go to the group of girls and bring them over to the to the guys and we'd all start having fun or because I'd just be focused on having fun or right. interacting or socializing you know so that was my main intention where maybe some of their intention was maybe it was a darker intention or maybe it was a more personal intention or maybe it was um you know it's like I can't talk to a girl you know I just can't physically do it because I'll get hurt so mm-hmm. for me I was I was very much like that but then but then after the surgery I went very insular and and I think I really started to look in terms of a, of a, a relationship um I started to look for people that had a bit more depth to them right. and really mm-hmm. would, would be understanding and, and caring and considerate and kind um and and uh, yeah that was probably my biggest worry is that I'll are they going to accept me for me? Which I think that's probably everyone's worry as we walk around, right. you know, just physically, our personality. Like, you know, look at that great word that, that was, uh, was so popularized when I was a kid, awkward. You know, you <laughs> ne- no one wanted to be awkward. Like, if you're right. awkward, it was like, oh, God, you've just destroyed <laughs> your chances. Right, right, <laughs> you know? right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so I, I, yeah, I think it's, it, it's, it's interesting how beauty, beauty can affect each person. And I think, mm. you know, talking about biological and, you know, the, the man generally is the provider in terms of historical historically you know that's generally you know the man and the woman if you look at the roles that they have mm-hmm. and again not to offend generally speaking you know the woman is 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 the nurturer and she raises and she looks after and she repairs and she's you know like amazing that's her amazing role and the, the man you know will go out and get get the get the meat or, or whatever right. it is do you know right. do you know what i mean yeah. so that sort of perspective, I think, is still in a lot of men today. And I think why, you know, a, a male suicide rate is 76%, right. you know, and in Australia alone, this beautiful country, eight people commit suicide every day. Like, wow. um, and majority of them are men. And I think a lot of that is because they don't know what their role is anymore. It's funny, but not in a humorous way, that a lot of people would actually be upset by what Kyle said. Nowadays, we see women trying to be as good at or better than a man in his or better at in a woman's area of expertise. But the truth is, again, men and women are supposed to complement each other. Everything about men and women is supposed to be complementary, leaving room for overlap sometimes, I'm sure. But it's just like a sports team. You need different players to play different positions, and that's how you have a well-rounded winning team. If everyone on the team is playing one position, well, you're going to lose the game. And we're seeing society crumble in very key points because we're all trying to beat each other. I mean, I even think about, on a trivial level, the complementary characteristics between men and women, aesthetically speaking. Men are angular and rough, you know, generally, and women are supple and round. And neither of those things make either one lesser than the other. And it kind of, it reminds me of a house, you know, the man representing the outside of the house. And typically speaking, a house is angular. It's a square, you know, that's how we draw homes as kids, right? It's, the walls are strong and sturdy. But inside the house, there's curves, there's things that make it soft, that make it livable. The couch, the beds, you know, all the things that make the house less cold and is is akin to what makes a relationship less cold and rough between a man and a woman. And of course, this is my opinion, but... 
you know, a man makes the house and a woman makes the home. But like, we're learning. Everyone's different. So my house analogy actually has nothing to do with the, you know, man goes out and protects and the woman stays home and looks after the kids. My desires for my life don't even fit into that stereotype. I don't want to be a stay-at-home mum. I don't want to do those things. And of course, maybe that will change. But the literal only point is, don't despise a person's difference because you feel like it makes you less than or inadequate or not competent. Going back to confidence is competence. Your differences make you the perfect match to become a powerful couple or a powerful well-functioning community that's all it is everyone's differences and everyone's uniqueness plays an important role in a well-functioning society now that i understood kyle's perspective on beauty when it comes to the body i wanted to know what his experience was as a greek man in australia and if feeling represented or not affected him in any way I'm not sure how I've heard that Australia isn't that diverse, and then I have heard that Australia is really diverse. But coming from Greek descent, is has that altered the way you look at beauty? Because you're like, well, I don't... Well, I guess there's the Aborigines and then like the white people that came over. I'm, I don't fit into either of those classes, so does that affect how you look at the beauty standards as in that would never be me anyway, or like... I'm probably very different to a lot of people because I don't really associate too strongly to any culture or pride or, I mean, I, I support the South African rugby team. So anytime right. they're playing, like <laughs> I support them. Yeah. And I think because of my, my high school years, um, was pretty rough and, and, and this has happened over the, over the history in Australia, unfortunately, you know, Australia is very multicultural and it's very accepting and it's good in that setting, but it doesn't mean that it makes it all the way to high schools and, and, and different sort of crowds. Mm -hmm. right. And, you know, I've spoken to old Italian men who said they've gone, when they came over to Australia and they were depressed for years because, mm -hmm. you know, they were, they were ostracized. They, they had a huge amount of racism, wow. you know, like wogs, people that were of that ethnicity. Um, so they would just find something and pick, pick on you, you know, and, and yeah, like there is, you know, to, to say that there's no sort of racism in Australia would be ridiculous right. and and you know and then the thing that the thing to like misinterpret would be that there's racism to the to the people that first were on this land it's it's not necessarily that it's it's to the wogs and to the this this you know this group of ethnicity and to these people and so like there's quite a lot I would say maybe because a lot of eth ethnic people came over in a certain amount of time but there was there was a big race wars kind of sort of situation between, you know, Australian, white Australians and, and ethnic people. So that was quite interesting to see. Mm. And, and I mean, I grew up in uh, an area where, where that kind of, you know, like Cronulla, like for a lot of years, I grew up in Cronulla and you can like look up the Cronulla riots. Now, what happened in that situation is that it wasn't the people from Cronulla. It was all the people from the Western suburbs of Sydney they came into Cronulla and they were drinking and everything. And then they mm. started abusing a couple Lebanese people, mm. you know? So, so that made Cronulla known as the racist place. Wow. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So there's so many aspects to this. And like you said, I think about the conversation, it's about having conversations and trying to understand. For me, I'm not attached to anything. I'm more attached to principles and values. So there's principles and values of Australia that I'm totally aligned with. And there's, decisions by governments that I'm totally 
not aligned with. Um, you know, so so and 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 you know, there'll, there'll be levels to that in all aspects. But being Greek, you know, I can mock my ethnicity any day of the week. Yeah. You know, I think I, I look at it as a strength to be able to make fun of yourself, like yeah. because you're doing the work for the person. <laughs> in yeah. saying that, when I was a teenager, I took everything so seriously. You know, yeah. like and 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 I I, I was. It was weird, you know. They would, they would, they would have a go at my South African side, you know, and they believed because I was a white person, or you know, like I'd say olive skin, but because I was yeah. from white ethnicity, coming from South Africa, they believed that I was racist. I had to be racist, and that was a real big, um, like brawl, like a you know, like a bullshit rule, or like a real big thing is whenever you get get. Um, harassed or anything like that you're like asking where is this coming from like where is this the, where did they get this reality you know because that's not who i am you know um so that that for me that i had a very different sort of experience and i don't attach to you know i guess i think australia is a lovely country and, it's, and it's, it's probably one of the top places you want to be in the world right now and it's and it's and it's amazing in so many ways um and I mean, if what what scares people most is our bugs, then I think yeah. we're doing pretty all right. <laughs> oh, wait, really? Because <laughs> you know? I see yeah, all these like... crazy, again, spiders are it for me. I just, uh, and I see these pictures and I'm, I talk to my aunt, my aunt's name is uh, Tara. I'd be like, Auntie Tara, I want to visit, but there's giant spiders and I can't do But if there's not giant spiders, I am 100% going to Australia. Look, like it's in pockets. If you're in the country, if you've got a lot of bush around, you're going to attract some of that stuff. But for me, I mean, I, I've I had a I had one redback spider in my house, you know, which yeah. is dangerous. Yeah, but but besides that, yeah, <laughs> besides that, you know, like I, I think it's pretty it's pretty normal. I mean, yeah. So so uh, look, I I would say I don't I don't attach to things. You know, right. I think my biggest uh, if I use that word success or my biggest quality that has attributed to me getting along with so many different people is that I don't attach to one side or the other, you know, like, and, and I've got Jewish friends, I've got, you know, like people from all sorts of different ethnic backgrounds. And once we get along a bit, we know that we can take a dig at the generalizations because right. we know that's not true. true. And if this, this, you know, media outlet says all of this, People are like this, you know. We'll, we'll joke about that, and then you kind of in that, in that comedy, in that humor, you kind of realize, oh, that's not true. You know, that's right. not real. Right. There's different levels. There's different levels of how observant you are in your religion. There's different levels in all these sorts of things. So, would you say um, the key to not being quote unquote oppressed by the generalized beauty standard is to not align your identity in it to not align your identity in things surrounding physicality or even personality to know who you are specifically and kind of just ride with that and just go with that and then whatever else comes along just assess and see if it lines up with you and if it doesn't just move along and if it does then integrate it somehow yes yeah yeah and look 
you know, it's 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 giving simple solutions to big problems. There's big big problems out there, and I'm, and obviously my heart goes out, and and you know we've got to solve them together through conversations, like you said. I just think identity politics is never going to work. Right. It never, like, right. it, it, it never works because where do you stop with it? Right. You know, how many identities can one human attach themselves to? Right. You know, and you might have two people that seem exactly the same on the same board, and then they'll get up triggered by a different identity. bit of identity they've attached to. Right. So, so. I'm not saying like a part of me. I get very proud about being Greek, and I look at the history, and and there's moments where I where I where I do attach to that, and I do get joy from it, you know. And then attached to being South African and and loving South African food and different sort of things, mm. but I don't attach to the point where I can be so easily wounded. I think that's right. the, the the point, you know. To, like, uh, the, when someone attacks the culture itself, you're thinking of it as a personal attack when it's not an attack on you. Yeah, and and and, and like you said, like you said, it's about if there's an ignorant statement like, "Oh, you're from South Africa, and you know you're Greek, you must be racist." It's about you know re-educating that mm-hmm. and go, "Okay, why do you think that?" Asking yeah. questions, you know, just keep asking questions. Where does that come from? Yeah. What is your, you know, or or whatever it is, you know, if it's about being Greek and there's some sort of racial slur or something like that you know why what where where does it come from you know and asking questions and figuring out what it's what it is and sometimes you're just going to get people that are pig-headed you know and then <laughs> right. you just got to leave you, <laughs> yeah. you just got to you know avoid that and just go okay this person's a bad person they are projecting their own insecurities onto me mm-hmm. because they don't have a culture as rich as me or right. because they, you know you can tell yourself anything but you can say you right. know like that that's what it is because i just think there's so much more to us. There's the heart within us. There's the soul within us. There's there's the personality. There's the characteristics, you know, and to just label us as you're a Greek, right? Like that's that's poor. That's poor yeah. form to me. Yeah. Like there's so much more to me. Come on, give me a right. chance here. Right, right, right. <laughs> that's so true. I think yeah. I think our idea of den- identity needs to be needs to be reworked. The the pro the prominent issues in the West tend to be, you know, race, identity, and other things like that. Whereas out of the East, I, I don't hear as much of that. Not that I'm up to date on my Eastern civilization politics though either. Um, but well, I what guess, I would say yeah. in Eastern politics, in Eastern, in Eastern, sorry, just turn up, but in Eastern, oh, I think there's a lot of horrors that still happen. Right, and that's what I'm, yeah, that's what I assume is like. Where in the yeah. West, we discuss it more, like yeah. we, we we kind of we seem to bicker over it a lot more. Right. Where in the East they kind of Experience. do terrible things to certain minority groups right. or different cultures or you know even in countries that are lovely that I know that I've been to I've heard things where there's there's a certain group of people that kind of got ostracized and mm. cleaned out and you're like what the hell you know like right. so so that's where yes you're right that it needs identity and and culture and everything needs to be discussed. Yeah. and worked out because in the West, we can tear our social structures apart and we can mess people up mentally to the point where someone wants to commit suicide yeah. or something terrible like that. And then in the East, you know, there's ostracizing and there's still those terrible things that have gone on in history that can still happen today and still is happening today to certain groups. Yeah. So it's an yeah. important discussion. It is. And I think too, something my, sometimes I'll get riled up about these things and just be like, why is everyone? crazy and my dad's always like 
when I was growing up and in because he grew up in Nigeria, well, partially in Nigeria, partially England, it's like cool. people don't have time to worry about these things. Like we have yeah. a lot of time on our hands to where we can nitpick yeah. all these different seven layer yeah. dips of identity and exactly. to wrap the conversation up. I would love if you could do or answer kind of two questions for me. One of them being, okay. if there's an encouraging statement, say we have, say this podcast somehow ends up in a high school classroom and there's a bunch of high school boys that need some encouragement. What's the piece of advice you would give to the boys? And then what's the piece of information you would give to the girls to help us understand you? Because that whole thing of like, boys are from Jupiter, girls are from Mars kind of thing. We don't understand each other. So like, what is a piece of information that you could give to girls to help us understand guys? And what, could, what information could you give to a guy to empower him to feel more confident? I'd probably say maybe to both of them is that we're not as different as you think we are in terms of boys from Jupiter, girls from Mars, but understand those intricate differences, you know, mm -hmm. so we're not as different, but, but learn to like work to understand those intricate differences and let that kind of become a journey for you. Like, you know, like an interest, like a curiosity, like, right. oh, okay. Like when this happens, you think in that way. And when that mm -hmm. happens, you think in this way. Yeah. And you know, I, I, like, I guess to the boys, you know, what I would say is have more conversations and be there for your brothers, mm -hmm. you know, be there for your, your brothers. Yeah. Because I think, you know, the reason that suicide rates are high in males is because they really think they're an island unto themselves. And one right. thing I really value and I really appreciate and see such a great resource in females is that they do have their groups, they have their networks, they have their sisters, they have their people that they talk. And they talk extensively about you know, certain topics, very generally speaking. Right. But you know, that's, <laughs> yeah. that, that's the that that's what I see. You know, and I kind of see, you know, you kind of hear stories about like people you went to school with, and it's like, wow, you know, if he had someone that could just pull him to the side, or if he had someone that he could just talk to, you know, so he didn't go down this path of drug addiction or you know whatever it was. So I would say, you know, like you know, create more social things. And for guys, it's going to be different. You know, we can't sit down. Most of us can't sit down and have a cup of tea yeah. <laughs> and, and say, tell me how you're feeling. Right. You know, we, ha we might have to go play sports. And then yeah. while we're playing sports, you know, things might come out. We, you know, right. So so commit to those, commit to continuing your social engagement with each other, I'd say, you know, high school boys. Because once you leave high school, man, it's so easy to just split off mm. and go on your own way, but stay with your group if they're a good group for you and they you give value to and they give value to you and commit to regular social engagements that are more than just drinking. Because I had buddies that were just drinking buddies, you know, and yeah. I went, the only reason we meet up is because we, we drink. Like, yeah. you know, there's nothing more to the relationship. So I'd say, and for girls to understand boys more, um, you know, I, I think... They're great, great at observing. I think they're great at observing boys, but but like kind of you know their actions and things like that. But but I don't know. Maybe just 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 join the conversation. I think um, one of the things that's helped me out in relationships is is having those conversations. Yeah. And understanding why do you do that? You know, don't just judge me or don't just say, God, you know, you, you know, you do this in this way or you don't value this. Why don't I think that's probably probably the biggest thing. I think. The girls might value things that the boys don't value right and then the girls go why don't you value this this is important and the boys go no that's not important i don't understand that so 
you know, like I know my role is to go and get money or go and, you know, do this or do these five things. And then that's, that's me. That's, you know, what's important. And I think for, for females, it's like understanding, okay, why do you value that? And why don't you value this? Right. You know? So, so yeah, understanding, I think that's the biggest thing. If we can understand each other. Yeah. I, I mean, there's so much beauty that comes out of that. Yeah. That's so I yeah I 100% agree and yeah I mean yeah <laughs> thank you thank you so much for your wisdom that you thank shared you. today and your experience where, where can people find you where can people contact you yeah so my, my I, I do a daily decided destiny dose which is basically you know like a like a daily vlog an inspirational sort of video five minutes also on YouTube Carl Spreedies so and then on my website, where the book will be coming out, is kylespirides.com. Okay. And then I'm on Instagram as well, like Kyle underscore Spirides. And that's Easy. a hard one. The last name is um, Spy, Spy Rides. So S-P-Y-R-I-D-E-S. Spy Rides. <laughs> Most people just say Spy Rides. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Not going to lie. Cool. When you first reached out, I was like, Kyle Spy rides? That's so cool. I wanted to be a spy growing up. And then I was like, it's probably not spy rides. And then I watched a couple of videos and I was like, yes, yeah, definitely Spiridis. I, I should have seen that coming. <laughs> no, I love that. I love that. That's cool. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Half Naked Truth. I hope you leave this listening experience feeling more confident in yourself and your ability to interact with others. Don't forget to check out Kyle on his various different social medias and website. All the information will be listed down in the episode description. Bye!